Yeah, so, just the phone. So watch that because it keeps on like hitting your shirt. All right. You want me to take my shirt? No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 that's all right. Yeah, yeah leave the shirt on because, or, or else let's, uh, let's not do the video part, okay? Very, very different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> This is Ordinary Voices, inviting ordinary people into conversations about life and faith. I'm your host, Eric Elkin. I created this podcast to help me, a pastor, better understand people, then invite you into the conversation so together we might find expressions of hope in daily life, maybe even find a way to live more spiritually rich lives. Guests on the show are not authorities. They're simply people willing to share with us the authenticity of their own thoughts. I provide the guests freedom to talk and only ask you to listen. But try to listen like a good camp counselor. Good camp counselors allow children to express themselves without judgment. They listen for what the camper is trying to say. People who listen tend to understand each other better. And we live in a world desperate for ears. So let's begin today's show, The Ghosts of Christmas. the strict religious group who helped settle the United States, once legally banned Christmas from being celebrated. The reason is really peculiar to most. To them, Christmas was not in the Bible. The birth of Jesus was in the Bible, but Christmas as a celebration was not. So when they had the influence, they stopped people from holding specific Christmas worship services. They even went so far as to send out a town crier to remind people, no Christmas today, no Christmas today. They brought the same practice with them to America, so much so that Christmas did not become a holiday in Massachusetts until 1856. In addition, many Christian people saw Christmas as taking away from the more important celebration of Epiphany. Epiphany remembers the day the Magi, or as we know them, the wise men, visited the baby Jesus. They came to announce to the world, in this child, the fullness of God dwells as a human being. Epiphany is 12 days after Christmas on January 5th. This is how we get to 12 days of Christmas and why I can put out a Christmas show after Christmas Day. And my Christmas cards aren't technically late until you get them on January 6th. So I'm covered. I needed help thinking of a Christmas show and a friend came up with this idea. Borrowing from a Christmas carol, she said to ask people about their ghosts of Christmas. You remember them, right? The miserly Ebenezer Scrooge gets visited in the middle of the night by three ghosts. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghosts of Christmas to come. So that's what I did. Today's show is a two-part story, looking at the lives of two different former camp staff, Ben and Jody. They're both in their 30s, and they're both trying to figure out their professional and personal lives. My first guest is Ben, a 30-year-old wealth management professional living in Nashville, Tennessee. Ben is an interesting contradiction. Looking at him, you would guess him to be an offensive lineman on a football team. However, his sport is golf, and his natural talents are musical. Personally, I like his sense of humor. So let's hear what he had to say about his Ghosts of Christmas. You got your ghost of Christmas past coming to your house. Yes. What's he looking like? Well, the looks of ghosts of Christmas past 
and honestly, I haven't seen the Christmas Carol too long. So, so it was a the Ghost of Christmas Half Past was like a child for uh, Scrooge, right? I just watched it too, just for the show. I don't think it was a child. Yeah, I don't think it was either. Um, but mine was a child. Mine, okay. was, mine was mine was just a uh, an on the go kind of rambunctious little child that was carrying around one of those stuffed Macho Man WWF uh, superstars that you could. I mean, it was really. Can you think of a better parenting tool than just say, "Here's a pillow, beat the crap out of it"? You know, <laughs> you were Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know where those things are anymore, but it was the greatest. I had a Hulk Hogan and a Macho Man, uh-huh. and I would just demolish that thing. You know, so they were pillows. Now they were like these. I mean, they were stuffed animals if you had to classify them as anything. Okay. But but they were durable. Right. They would never rip. I mean, you could throw them all over the place. It was perfect. It would. I wouldn't say it wouldn't break things because they had the heft to like knock things over, but it's not going to like go through a window or something yeah, like that. Right. Right. Yeah. So did you yeah. get? Did would you like um, enact wrestling matches with this? Oh yeah, all the time. My move. I always loved uh, sweet chin music. You know, Shawn Michaels. Okay. Heartbreak Kid. So I would. I would just kick that thing in the face as many times as I possibly could. <laughs> I'm much much less limber than I was yeah. back in my uh, back in my younger ages. But uh, well, yeah. it's funny thinking about it because I just never have seen you as an, an a physically aggressive person. Well, that's true. I, yeah, I'm not. So that's why I gravitated to uh, uh, fake violence right. <laughs> effectively. <laughs> Like not great. I was on the wrestling team in middle school. Right. I was, and I, you know, I'm not an aggressive person. Right. I don't know why I've joined the wrestling team. I just thought it was what a kid in Iowa did. I, I suppose, right. or a boy in Iowa at the very least. Right. I was terrible. I would, I would lose a match, and I would like cry, but I wasn't hurt. I would just be like, "What am I doing here? I have no idea." <laughs> I go home. I, I would go home, and I'd just be like, "This, I gotta quit. I gotta quit." My parents wouldn't let me quit. It's a good life lesson. <laughs> I probably quit after that season, though. That's yeah. Yeah. There's a part of me that just never gets that don't quit thing because I'm like going, um, but it was ritual shaming, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, effectively. Effectively. Plus, it kind of it kind of goes against the uh, do what makes you happy kind of thing. I right. mean, why would, you, why would you continue on with something that is making you so miserable? seriously don't get the do not quit theory. When I became an adult, especially as an employer, I was amazed to learn at how many people hate their jobs, but refuse to change because they don't want to be a quitter. If you hate your job, most likely you're helping others hate their job as well, and there's no way that that hate is confined to your work. It doesn't have to be a perfect job. You shouldn't hate doing it. However, listening carefully, the complexity of the issue is discussed in Ben's reflection, the impact of quitting, the quest for what you love, and the humility of accepting something you may not dream of doing. But first, the regret of not enduring through something you hate and the long-term impact. branch out quite as much as I maybe did when I was younger where yeah if I'm not good at it 
like just fundamentally have some talent at it. I don't really do it. You know, so like the most uh, ice skating, for instance. Mm-hmm. I do not ice skate. I do not ski. I don't do any of that stuff because the times I have tried it, it's been uh, like it's been brutal. You know, they would take a steep learning curve to get to a point of enjoyment. So I'm like, not for me. Right. And I don't know if this is like a, you know, we could probably get way psychological about this, but right. at the same time, it's it's weighing the value of your time and enjoyment. Right. Right. Um, and it maybe goes back to that wrestling, right? I was not good at it. Right. So I'm not going to waste my time doing something I'm not good at. So is that when you when your ghost comes and visits you though? Is that uh, is the wrestling thing one of your regrets? Uh, you know it is. It's like it's it was kind of a you know I've had a really non traumatic life, so that's right a blessing in right. and of itself. But yeah, I mean that was an experience that was just unpleasant all the way around, right? And something that made me wonder what I was thinking. It made me think back this question. To like what drove my decisions at that time, what made me think it was a good idea. It was a callback to kind of the lack of confidence I had okay. as like an individual. Yeah. Were you bigger in junior high? Oh uh, yeah, I was. I was bigger. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't like a, I didn't get picked on necessarily. So one thing I have always been, and you can probably attest, I'm a fairly funny guy. You know, I would a lot of times in middle school and everything go into like self-deprecation, right? Right. And that was a way to that was a way to bring people in while at the same time defending myself from any type of you know attack that could have been on whatever insecurity I had at the time. I was pretty good at it, and at the same time, it actually kind of led to situations where I in turn sometimes became a bully right I had a quick wit had kind of trained myself to be a bully to myself in a certain way. So that allowed me to very easily, when the moment was right, turn that on someone. I say this now, as I, it wasn't affecting me, right? So who knows what, what it maybe did to another individual. Right. But um, it was always, I would say, a little bit tame. But again, it was just a way to deflect any attention off of me, negative attention off of me, and get it on someone else and then get out. Humor is a complex thing to understand, especially for people who don't use humor. However, Ben strikes upon something interesting here, something I've never really considered. Self-deprecating humor is a form of bullying oneself, and it can be manipulated in ways the person joking doesn't always intend. I hate opening the door to the deeper issues of humor because I really like to laugh. Laughter helps us deal with pain, and it helps us cope with life. However, humor, like everything else in life, has a flip side one doesn't often see. So what is uh so what does the ghost of Christmas present look like? So the ghost of Christmas present, um it's really trying to find itself. So I turned thirty like twenty days ago or so. Okay. Pretty recently. Not not really a milestone birthday by any means, but at the same time, it did get me thinking about like my other friends who are the same age, where are they at, right? Where am I at? They seem really stabilized, you know? And I don't know if they're like 
happy, you know, deep down, maybe they're depressed or something like that. But at the same time, there's a stability to what they're doing. That makes me think that they have kind of figured out where they should be. Right. Mm -hmm. Are grateful for where they are and thankful for where they are and feel accomplished in what, what they have. I spent a lot of my, you know, college years and right after college in the workforce, I was very ambitious. And I think chasing like financial stability, you know, to a point, not, not wealth by any means, but just never have to think about if I want to, if I want to buy a a big TV, I can buy it and not even think about it, you know, Mm -hmm. and like nothing even huge, like a boat or anything like that. But I was kept chasing these things and it never let me, I never allowed myself to just like appreciate the moment, you know, like to live in the moment and appreciate the moment, I think are very different things. How so? So to live in the moment, I think is just impulse. You don't make plans. You uh, are ready to, to take a night where it leads, right? You, you, you just kind of ride that wave of the moment, the impulse. Right. But to appreciate a moment, I think, is to learn about the situation you're in. Um, I think it's a, fundamentally a little bit longer than just like a night or a weekend or something like that. And then I think it involves reflection, right? Mm-hmm. To allow that next step to be the right step rather than a calculated step. And I think there was there was a lot of that going on all through my 20s. A lot of impulse? Or- uh, no, well, no, a lot of, um, a lot of like those calculated steps, right, like right, okay. not, not, not like appreciating where I'm at. And like, so from a career standpoint. I was in this company in Wisconsin, it was in the printing industry. And I was in this rotational development program, a great program. It was a great thing to like learn from the ground up and go to many different parts of the business and kind of learn the industry. I didn't necessarily approach it like that. I approached it more of, okay, what opportunity in this company allows me to have just a little bit more security or stability here or there. And that was no matter what, I don't care what the job is. I'm going out of state where they pay for my housing, where they give me a per diem, so on and so forth. Right. And then from there, it was, okay, what are the six things I need to do to make sure I get a raise, right? And sometimes that's not necessarily following what might interest me, but where the opportunity might be, right? There's value to that. But at the same time, I think it limits you as a person because you're always kind of playing from behind, you know, I, I would be moving around to all these places thinking that that was the best move because stability was at the time or what I thought to be the most important thing. And I took for granted opportunities for like great human interaction, you know, to maybe stay in the same place and with a great group of friends that I had, you know, because friendships, friendships, you know, in the 21st century are very different because you can stay connected in a lot of different ways, but it's still fundamentally impossible to be truly great friends if you're not around that person, I think. Wow, 
how you had like an analytical look to what you were doing and, and kind of manipulating that analytical look, it still was really impulsive. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right? The, the moving around, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and you're kind of... And the kind of thing you're talking about now is wishing you had been maybe a more appreciative of that moment that you were in. Yeah. When I think it actually would have made me uh, a better professional right? Uh, as well to be able to kind of digest a moment or digest information rather than try and process, right? you know, information and just take it and results, take it and results, take it and results. It would have allowed me to like develop, I think maybe at a, at a, even quicker rate than I you know, feel I have. I think I maybe was going about it the wrong way, completely. What Ben discusses here is a recurring theme for him, and for my other guest Jody, and probably for most people listening. Trying to live in the present, appreciating where you are, and balancing that with where you want to be or think you should be. Also, Ben is a child of the computer age. As much as he uses social media and loves it, he still sees the need for human presence and contact, probably more than most older adults. Ben provides a roadmap for all young people who find themselves living in a new place. How do you make connections and make new friends outside of work? That's kind of the present I've been thinking a lot about lately you know, my approach to the next 10 years, right? And how I don't need to be looking to the next thing as much as I need to be understanding the current thing, you know? Right. And that's, you know, reaching out, being more open um, to people that are around me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, while still still maintaining the connections I had and have elsewhere, but, but just balancing that more rather than looking to get back to those relationships I've built. I just need to be more focused on being open to build new relationships. Where do you get your social connection then from? Is that all from work? So a lot of his work, the other thing is, uh, oddly enough, intramural sports. Really? Yeah, yeah. Not wrestling, it's, uh, though, right? Not wrestling, no. That's <laughs> yeah. just very, that'd be an odd intramural sport. But, uh, but, you didn't join um, the fight club at work or anything like that, did you? <laughs> no, well, I can't talk about that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, I um, we're recording. But the, uh, um, yeah, no, kickball. I was, uh, really? Yeah, I joined a kickball team, and it's, um, it's a perfect sport because it's not a sport, <laughs> effectively. <laughs> so, no one practices it, so you don't ever like walk in there and are good at it, right. you know. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's yeah. I mean, it was that was I waited too long to do that. To be honest, really, I got in. I didn't join one of those things until I had lived here for like a year and a half already. And then the minute I joined, you know, that gives me at least you know you think you get get one friend out of it, and then you play another season, you get a second friend out of it, so on and so forth. Even before these questions came came up, I was already thinking about you know reaching out and having better human connection uh, throughout all this. So I'm doing dodgeball, 
in uh, okay in January. Yeah, so be- good thing you said that because that was my next question. If kickball always has to lead to dodgeball, it just does. Yeah, it does. It really does. And actually, you know, I've been I've been trained at the proving ground of Shalom, the uh, the pole barn. So. <laughs> It's going to fit my, my rule of you got to be at least somewhat good at it to okay. do it, you know, so right, I think right. I'll be all right. What's the ghost of Christmas future look like? You know, I think the ghost of Christmas future is definitely going to focus on being a little bit more thankful uh, and appreciative for, you know, what I have. And actually, I've, this election actually kind of leads me to that as well. You know, a lot of the major, the frightening moments of our president-elect don't affect me. I'm in the demographic that is unaffected by any policy that he would have. That right there, fundamentally, I don't think about that enough. My worries are really negligible compared to many, many other people. And I think it's important for me to understand that, but then at the same time, be mindful of what others might have to go through. When I was younger, I think I want to get back to my younger self a little bit, you know, despite the fact that I was maybe a little bit defensive, always on the defensive and being self-deprecating at the same time, I really did focus on being like a catalyst for a good time, you know, and a, a good natured person and really interested in helping. Right. And I think I lost that a little bit as I moved into the workforce. It actually was like, I was never selfish in the sense that I would take from others, but I think I was selfish in the sense that I wasn't um, allowing myself to appreciate what I had, what I could give, and that was in turn not letting me give. So I'm really kind of focused on that to kind of get back to that youthful bliss that we all probably want to get back to a little bit where uh, it was important to connect with people and important to help people and and you were enriched by that in the most in the simplest way i find it interesting that both ben and jody will talk about helping others as a way of reconnecting both to their past and to a deeper meaning in life there's a yearning that they have but it's also returning to something that they used to do the pursuit of themselves is somehow empty. It's interesting because when um, your younger self descriptions um, reflect more of what I know of you. I mean, even when you were at camp, you were never... Um, a counselor so much, but yeah. you, but you were always, even though you're on support staff, you were always working with kids, engaged with kids. You didn't have to go down and play dodgeball, but you did, you know, you just, Oh, wait a minute. You were assigned to that. Never mind. Just scratch that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean, you were, you, you were always helping people. You're always laughing. You were a community builder. You brought people together, kind of, kind of things. And then it was kind of, um, interesting that when you graduated from college and I'd, I would check in with you, you were on, it was very visual, that pursuit of going to something and yeah. analyzing things. It wasn't that it was wrong, 
It just seemed different personality. I don't want to you know blame too much, but 2009 was not a great time to hit the job market. Before that, I was working at Build-A-Bear yeah. Workshop. I don't know if you remember that. It was, <laughs> that honestly should have been – I think that, that really was – it bugged me a lot. And it really shouldn't have because it was a fun job, you know. And I was good at it. And quite frankly, I got the job because of the experience at Camp Shalom, you know, working with kids. But I'm sitting there maybe feeling slightly entitled where I'm like, I have a college degree and I'm stuffing a heart in this bear at the North Park Mall. (laughs) I mean, goodness gracious, what is happening? So the minute I got that job, I'm like, I gotta get to the point. I gotta get to the point where I'm not stuffing a heart in a bear ever again. <laughs> but then, when you look back, some of the some of the, the greatest stories are from that, where they have this big machine where you're stuffing a bear, right? Uh-huh. And you're talking to the kid while you're doing this, and every once in a while, the bear would like slip off. You know what I mean? And just stuffing would just shoot throughout the store. And kids would love it because they're, you know it's like it was snowing or something like that. And you're, supp- and you're supposed to like make it a whole thing, right? right? So I'm doing that one day, but this girl's brother was standing at the end of this stuffing pipe, and he was just getting pelted in the face with this stuffing. And like I'm sitting there, my whole life just slows down. I had like this moment of clarity, you know, and I like turn slow mo, and he's just getting pelted in the face with this stuffing. It doesn't hurt, but at the same time, it's shocking to him. So he starts crying. The dad is just like, I don't want to be here. And now everyone is looking at me. So he's mad at me. Right. And I'm just like, hey, that's Build-A-Bears for you. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's a great story. And like in this whole, this whole like resentment and, you know, it, it all comes back to build a bear. Man, I didn't I'm just realizing that right now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that was a very strong theme throughout uh, college, maybe not even as blatantly, but in the subtext is like if you find the job you love, you'll never work a day in your life, you know? Right. And it's really an unrealistic thing to think about. You know, because there's well, first off, no no one loves uh, putting a production schedule together. You know what I mean for a manufacturing flat. Right. No one truly loves that. Right. You can enjoy it. I'm not disputing that, but you're not like taking your two weeks vacation to go to some supply chain seminar yeah. and learn about you know the most efficient ways to manage inventory. You know. <laughs> right, right. And if you are, then there are avenues for you to get help. You know, so go go ahead and find us. A friend and I were recently talking about people in their twenties looking for a job. My friend said, "Don't look for your dream job. Look for a job you can do and make a living doing. Save your dreams for your personal time." Ben touches on this exact same thing. Does your dream job even exist? Is this reliable advice to share with others? But he touches on something that gets lost in the endless pursuit of the dream job. What do you love? Not what you love doing, but what do you love? How can you pursue any dream in home or at work if you don't know what you love? 
difficult part with all that subtext and kind of subconscious drilling of find the job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. What do you love? Right. Mm-hmm. You're so focused on trying to find the job that you love that doesn't potentially exist. You don't spend enough time thinking about and understanding what you truly love because you're trying to find what you love in the context of a sustainable job and it doesn't exist or it might exist, but it's few and far between. Well, I think about it too, is like, I, I do, I do, I do love being a pastor, but, um, 80% of my days are are work. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's, you're you're still putting in a lot of hours. You come home really tired. Exactly, and uh, not everything. And that's why you get. You have to. That's why you have to have founders. This is a perfect segue into my commercial. I love doing ordinary voices. I love inviting ordinary people like Ben and Jody into conversations about life and faith. I love how it helps people reflect and how it helps them find hope. I love that it helps me understand you better. I love doing this. But it is work. It's work to write daily reflections. It's work to conduct interviews, edit shows, write script, and finally produce a show worth listening to. So if you like what you hear, please consider supporting it. And you can do three things to support it. One, recommend it to others. People keep asking me if it's all right to share it with others. Just so you know, the show depends on you sharing it. So please, you have my permission. You don't even need to ask. Recommend it to others and share your thoughts and ideas with me. I'm always looking for new ideas, new guests, and for feedback. I want to make this the best thing it can possibly be. I can't do it without you, so please let me know your ideas. Finally, this is a listener-supported show. Please consider financially supporting it by clicking the Donate button on the website, OrdinaryVoices.org. OrdinaryVoices.org. Thank you for listening. Now let's meet guest number two, Jody. I'll let her introduce herself. I was born in a small town in upstate New York where the two biggest things was a private college and a prison. Uh, I was born to two teenage parents. Uh, My dad joined the army, so I've lived all around the world. And I think that when you get older, you reach a point where you either want to continue to travel, see people be in large groups. But I'd reached the point where I wanted a smaller, tighter community. So that's why I chose a small private liberal arts college in Illinois. And then I spent my summers in Iowa and that's where I met you. Um, the shining Joy star, joys. Eric. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you um, know, I like to think so, you know? <laughs> I, well, I'll give you that one. You are a shining star. Um, and then after a trip to Africa before I graduated, I wanted to take some time and really reevaluate if I wanted to go into politics and law or really go into education, which the latter half of college is what I kind of started leaning towards. So I moved on to Georgia, mostly for the weather. Um, and I've been living in Metro Atlanta ever since. Where did you, where'd you go in Africa? I went, went to Ghana. Okay. And we traveled throughout Ghana. Was so. that through Augustana? Yes, it was through. It was amazing. It was one of the best times of my life. And just being able to meet other people and hear their stories, older, younger, 
it really put a lot of things that internally I was questioning into perspective. You know, yes, I'd love to make a lot of money and people across the board said I'd make an amazing lawyer, but my heart wasn't in it. Do I want for the rest of my life to do something my heart wasn't in? So there was a lot of soul searching and a lot of questions that were answered while I was in Africa. Jody is a graduate of Augustana University in Rock Island, Illinois. If you've not guessed it yet, you will. She is high energy, positive, and a delightful person with this beautiful son named Stanton. She fills her Facebook page with images of the two of them playing and going on all kinds of adventures. Peggy and I love stalking her family on Facebook because she always makes us smile. thought I would have a child. So when you're your children and it teaches you patience and, you know, it kind of keeps you young. Like I feel, I look at myself in the mirror and like, I don't look young and I'm like, but inside I feel so full of energy, which is not true. Like I knock out in bed at eight o'clock and I'm done. But you know, when you're around kids and they have hope and they don't understand what's going on in the world, it really kind of keeps you happy inside. Yeah. The image that you project on Facebook is coming to life here on screen because it just it is. It's energy is positive. You have a beautiful smile. It just oh. uh, um, it's a wonderful. Oh, Eric, you know you're the best. Is, yeah. you have a good smile too. Yeah, thanks. That's what I was actually <laughs> looking for. I wanted you to. It was. A, <laughs> it's a tit for tat with the compliments. I get it. That's right. I started out with this question of thinking about what would your ghost of Christmas be like. Ben took it as what does the ghost actually look like? So, uh, <gasps> so did I. So, so yeah, what no, would, I took it literal. Yeah. So what would your ghost at Christmas past look like? Okay. So obviously, you know me a little bit and I'm not traditional. And so when you asked that, I saw myself as a six-year-old brownie Girl Scout and my freshly pressed uniform from my mom and my huge bangs that she insisted from the first five years of my life I wore. But I remember that time as my dad was there. We were always together. We had a lot of my parents took me all over Europe. You know, we did stuff as a family. And so when I think of my ghost of Christmas past, I remember little Jody. Oh, (laughs) and so is little Jody the one that'll come and visit you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Those bangs. <laughs> Flatten them out, girl. <laughs> that first that first goes to Christmas Pass is, is a little bit gentle, but it's going to freak you out because of the bangs, right? I mean, why so much volume? Bless the early 90s. <laughs> so what are your favorite memories from that time? Well, like I said, my dad was there. And it's interesting, thinking back, I learned about war really early. During that time, the Gulf War was going on. And so I was at a Department of Defense school. So I had friends who had parents who were in war. Mm. I just knew that my dad wasn't. I knew that he was there. He came home for dinner. He was there for Thanksgiving and Christmas, which four years later, from the time I was 10 to 16, my dad missed every birthday for me and every Christmas. And so looking back, it was a time that I wish I had cherished a little more, you know, because, you know, four years later, dad was always in the Middle East. So 
Yeah. I mean, you don't have any perspective really to judge that, to appreciate well, if, it at that time. Right? You know, it's like hindsight is twenty twenty. If I knew then what I knew now, I would have held it a little closer. Right, so. exactly. You know what breaks my heart in this section? The great number of children being born in this country with war as the normal. That's sad. When did war replace diplomacy as a preferred approach? When did keeping soldiers at home with their families become unpatriotic or not supporting the military? When will we start demanding peace in our world? Also, Jody and Ben both point to a time they wish they had cherished more. Something left that you could go back and redo. I just, I, I mean, you, I'm so pragmatic that I'm like, I know I can't go back. Right. But I, I think back, and I told you I have young parents. I mean, they were not even 21 then, and I look back, and my Christmas was amazing. I had huge dollhouses, and you know, stuff you could drive in, and shoes, and. You know, they did so much for me as, as kids themselves. And I just, you know, as a child, you don't know that, but as an adult, I'm like, wow, I got lucky. You know, young parents don't know their way, but my parents fumbled and stumbled through and, you know, they were amazing. And I, I do hold that now as an adult, but as a child, I'm like, yeah, I got that Barbie dream house, you know? Right, right. Let me tell you, my parents knew the weight of this girl's heart, Barbie dream house. Barbie dream house. <laughs> Why I had to wear bangs for five years, though. That was the give and take. Were you in Were you in brownies when you were in Germany? Yes. And then it continued until we came back to America. And I was in the green outfit. So that's a, a junior. And then I was like, Mom, no more. I want to be in sports now. <laughs> I want to be in sports, please. <laughs> Jody represents what I call the positive side of political correctness. You know, the thing we love to complain about, but fail to see its contribution. She's not forced to be something she's not. Playing sports is available to her. Playing sports was not available to my sisters the same way it was for Jody, just one generation removed. She's comfortable being strong and athletic, but still very much female. It's hard to imagine her playing with dainty little girl things. While at Augustana, she was an accomplished shot putter, qualifying for nationals three out of her four years. It's a good thing for all people to be able to pursue their dreams. It's what makes the U.S. great. What was the first sport you did? Basketball. I did intramural basketball. It was so hot. We moved to El Paso, Texas, was the first American place as like a fourth grader I came back to. It was so hot. We had to play intramurals at 7 a.m. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I got a trophy. It was my first trophy, too. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> They'll have it, okay? I still polish it. Yeah. You have six spotlights on it. <laughs> I have more than one trophy, Eric. I know. I, well, you, I, I was trying to remember where you, you went to nationals all four years of college or just? Three. Three. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, did you win? No. 
funny story about me. I um, choke under pressure. So mm -hmm, it's, I've never been an all American. Really? <laughs> Thanks, Eric. This feels really good internally <laughs> to remember. <laughs> I, I like to tear people down so I can build them back up. That's how well, I you work. better build okay. me up. Barbie <laughs> dream house style. Okay. See, because uh, that 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 memory only haunts me for the rest of my life. So uh, go ahead. I'm glad that you brought it up. <laughs> Sweat on my brow. So, so now let's talk about that Christmas past. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, you're not going to get much sympathy from me because you did go to nationals three years out of four years in college. So, okay. <laughs> no, so. I do. I think, you know... The, looking back, I am grateful for all my experiences. I wish I'd put a little more effort into training. Mm -hmm. And and I think training is not just a physical thing. And that's what I thought. You know, you hit the gym, you hit the locker room after, you know. But I think you need to take time, sit down, and reflect. And I didn't. I was naturally good at what I did. It didn't take much effort for me to get there. And that's not being cocky. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, I had teammates that told me they would kill for what I could naturally do, you know, right. hindsight's twenty twenty, and I don't live in the past, but I do learn from it. You know, there's a lot to take away from it. Yeah. That is part of your, the past of something you wish you could have done better or, right. you know, and it is going to stick with you for the rest of your life. And, oh, I'm sorry. But, I, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I would never make that mistake again, right. you know, anything. And maybe that contributes to why I have such high blood pressure now. I do everything with a hundred percent now because I don't ever want that feeling. I know what it feels like. I could have been an all American, you know? So now even with things like lesson plans, make sure they're done, make sure they're done well, because I don't want to go back and do them. You know, right. I want to give my hundred percent to my students. So right. is there time to work in reflection with that too? I don't think I reflect as much as I should. I mean, you know, you get so caught up. I get caught up in everything, you know, right. a part of trying to do everything well is you're doing so many things at once. Right. And so I think with the new year coming, that's something I should reflect on more <laughs> reflecting, right? You know, sounds insane, but really when you break it down, it's not. Like Ben, Jody yearns for reflection and appreciation of life in the moment. They see the need, but creating the opportunities and actually living it present challenges. So when you look, what does your ghost of Christmas present look like? Ironically enough, it's that little blonde-haired, blue-eyed child that I call my son. I think that, you know, you... Initially, I was like, oh, that would be my ghost to the future. But really, it's all about being in the present, at least for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I see, I just see my son growing and I see what's going on around us. And I just, he is, he keeps me in the moment. He keeps me in the here and the now and to just enjoy it. You know, I find myself, like I said, trying to do everything 100% that I'm, you know, am I stretching myself too thin? So it's my son. Definitely my baby. So what, what do you think your son would say about your life right now? 
Slow down, mom. Take a deep breath. Why are you so high strung all the time? You're going to add more wrinkles. I'm always like, I'm like stretching my forehead. I, I truly do. I know I said that my son is high energy, but I look at him and I remember, you know, I look at my students, you know, they're the same age. They have this optimism, this happiness. You know, they see the, the small part of the world that as adults, we don't anymore. They stop and smell the roses, then tear up the bush, you know? Kids have this internal happiness that, I mean, we have, but we're so busy in the must get this done, must do this, you know, progress in our career, deadlines, deadlines, that he would just tell me, take a deep breath, lady. Right. (laughs) It's going to be okay, even though there's not enough hours in the day for me to get anything done. You still sound like uh, the training athlete. There's a lot of stuff that comes natural that you're doing, the physical stuff. But that reflection part, that thinking about that mental stuff is still an elusive force. I mean, yeah, is that right? You know, you nailed it. Definitely. You said that. I was like, oh, man, I'm transparent. (laughs) (laughs) I think careers really do overtake a lot of our lives. And, you know, you transition from, I had friends and then I became a mom. And so your, your friendship group really does change. Mm -hmm. And then when you're a teacher, you're typically teacher friends who are also mom friends. And, you know, you have a classroom of children, that's your focus. And then you go home and you focus on your own children. So when I'm with my friends, the time is amazing, but I really, like, I jokingly said that Stanton's my life, but honestly, Eric, he is, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not, I don't, I'm not a heli, I am a little bit of a helicopter parent, but you know, I try to give him his space. (laughs) Yeah, really. At least four inches of space. I give up. I'm telling you. Why are you so far away from me? Come (laughs) hug me. I'm feeling clingy, son. (laughs) But that's kind of a model that your mom and dad laid out for you as well. I mean, didn't they, I mean, they, they put you as the center of attention or no. Honestly, my parents raised me pretty independently. Like, you know, there were I love you's, but they weren't necessarily the most affectionate family. And Stanton's father, I know it kind of was the same. So we made a very conscious effort to lavish him with love and praise, but not to the point where, you know, ill behavior goes unpunished. Right. But that's, you know. Right. So I just think that. I don't think my childhood would have been any different with more hugs. I mean, I am a kind of do what I want kind of person and then reap the consequences later. Um, I'm hardheaded. I was a hardheaded child, but my son also hardheaded, but gets lots of hugs. (laughs) Is it because you were my boss, you know, I'm hardheaded or do I give that vibe? No, no. You know, I wouldn't call it hardheaded. I would just call, um, well, no, no it, it, I don't know. There's, you always carry, uh, you always carried confidence and not so much that it was a, 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 I don't fail kind of confidence. It was just an insurance of what you're going to do. And if it was a failure at what you're doing, you're okay with naming it as failure and moving on. And I just always thought that was really cool about you. I mean, oh. was, whether it was positive or negative, you owned what you did. How we carry ourselves does not always reflect the inner feeling. 
Often what people see is infinitely more positive than what dwells within. Two things here. We are often our worst critics. We need others to remind us of what we do well. It helps us focus on our positive qualities. Second, just because someone carries themselves as confident does not mean they are. Like Ben in his humor, confidence can be a mechanism to protect, deflect, and hide our own insecurities. What would your ghost of Christmas future look like? So, that was probably the hardest one because I was like, is it me? Like, would it be my present day me? But then I did some reflecting. Maybe you're the reason I reflected so much, but I, um, my dad had a younger sister and she passed away at 19 and you know, everything I do and every time I get down, I think of my aunt Dee Dee and you know, I've been given so many opportunities and I've lived longer than she did. And you know, I don't want to take for granted what I have and what will be coming, you know, especially around the holidays. And I think the holidays have this unique way of having you take a minute and remember like everything around us and everyone around us. So I just try to keep her in the forefront of my mind of you're going to be okay. And this is going to be good. And your future is going to be bright. Put some sunglasses on Jody. Mm -hmm. Appreciate the moment. Yes. (sighs) And, you know, hearing you say it, and I'm like so feverishly like, yes, but I don't, you know, I think that's the hardest thing I, I, you know, it's, I have a very hard time living in the moment because I'm like, this is great, but what will be next? Like, how can we improve upon this? And it's, you know, I, I think it's a me thing. It's not how my parents were. No one made me this way. It's how I've kind of transitioned into adulthood. You know, what's next? What's next? We can do better. It'll be better. You know, I, my pupils are dilated and I'm like. Some people live too much in the past. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we never think about the drawback of living too much in the future. I would say in the last I don't know, probably at least five, if not more years, I've been living too much in the future. Right. I'm just, I'm thinking too much about, um, you know, what's coming down. Right. I got this day, you know? Well, and it's one thing, you know, you're saying it aloud and you are acknowledging a problem, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I live much in the future, but what is the solution? You know, how do you, because, you know, it it struck me something you said, like whether something I did was negative or positive or was a failure, I seem to bounce from it. When you said that, I'm like, but internally it'll eat me up for a very long time, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just, you know, what is the solution though, if you're living too much in the future, like what's the first step to take that deep breath and live in the now? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really... You know, I'm not trying to be deep, but I mean, if you have the answer, please tell me. (laughs) I've been thinking about this for a while, listening to Ben and Jody talk. Life is like whitewater canoeing. When you're in a canoe going through the whitewater, you're moving down river whether you want to or not. Paddling, often furiously, only keeps the canoe headed in the right direction. Stop paddling, and you're headed for danger. 
You need to leave the rapids before you can slow your paddling pace. Also, you need to leave the rapids to find them exciting. If you never get out, it will either produce extreme anxiety or absolute boredom. So the question facing both is how to leave the rapids and find calm water. Here, Jody presents an idea I found fascinating. So let's continue to listen. If you were going to show your future of what you don't want it to be, what would that look like? I don't want it to be go, go, go. I don't want these lofty goals that I keep, you know, I think goals are great, but as I'm getting older, I'm like, you know, you need to just keep it at a steady. Whereas I'm like, I should progress in my career. I should move into a different position in my school. I should be getting a bus driving permit. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just take it easy. I'm doing good. I'm doing better than good. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm getting, I'm another, I'm a summer camp director again. You know, I'm doing well, I don't have to keep piling stuff on my plate to prove that I'm good enough. I am good enough right where I am. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you battle that sometimes just feeling if you're good enough? I battle, I've battled that. I think since college, you know, I came from a really diverse place. I mean, you know, I lived on the border of Mexico and an army base and, you know, I was comfortable. And then you move into a small net community of Chicago suburban kids who are smarter than me, richer than me. And and that's not downplaying it. You're always going to meet someone better than you. That's life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you're an 18 year old kid and you don't know that, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to learn that. But yes, even as a 33 year old woman, I, I still am like, you're good enough, Jody, you know, but that's who I am. Am I'm this control freak type A? <laughs> right, right, right. Well, it's, <clears throat> it's one of those things that, especially with I think with track athletes, I I feel like swimmers, track athletes, runners are the most competitive people because really the person you're fighting is yourself. Amen. That's I mean you nailed it. There's nothing else to say after that. It is really you have to be better than you. Mm-hmm. Can you throw a shot put further next time? Can you? You know, mm-hmm. you're absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of is woven into your DNA and, and letting that go. It's never, there's no possibility of letting it go. Is there just, how do you manage it? No. And you know, I don't necessarily want to let it go because I know I keep saying like, this is who I am, but really it is who I am. I don't want to change. Like I am liked for being the Jody you see right here. It's absolutely. How do I keep it under wraps and not stress myself out? You know, how do I keep who I am, but chill out a little bit? That comment there is just, is really something for me to think about too. You know, when you like who you are, which is Mm -hmm. really the point. Right. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And how do you maintain liking who you are and that energy that makes you who you are, that makes what everybody like, likes, but then still finding time for breathing space is an, it's an interesting challenge. I will tell you one thing that I think has kind of slowed me down and put it into perspective. So I'm a member of Buckhead church and they have a mentoring program. And so you can be a mentor one-on-one 
or you can volunteer in the school, or you can be a room mom. Okay. Well, you know, the type A in me is like, room mom. Yeah. Like that's something you can do. So it's the first year they've done it. And it's um, an inner school academy. And the only commitment is once a month. Um, but I get to go more because I have a teacher schedule, but I will say, so we just had a Christmas party and there's 22 second graders. So I'm a room mom for second graders. And it definitely has given me like a deep breath. Like I'm emotionally tapped out after because some of the stuff, you know, you hear kids when they trust an adult really, you know, they're honest. Mm -hmm. And, um, just being with those children though, like I brought a fruit and cheese plate and mini cupcakes and those kids, they're like, thank you for keeping us healthy. And I'm like, my students would be like, why Miss Jody? Why? Like, come on, throw us some sugar. But these kids, it was like this huge thing. And so when I was driving, I reflected and I was like, this makes me feel good. This makes me stop and smell the roses, you know? So I think I am taking some steps. And up until we talked, I didn't even think of it as a step. I was just like, this is something good that makes my heart feel good. But really it does make me put stuff into perspective, be grateful and know that I'm a, you know, these children look forward to seeing me and I'm a trusted adult. So, right. We tend to think of reflection as quiet meditation, silence, candles, and solitude. But if we're not wired that way, what do we do? Jody finds her reflection in serving children of need. It is a genuine form of reflection. It helps break from the routine, gives perspective, and renews her spirit. Ben, I would say, found reflection in human interaction, building relationships, and spending quality time with others. He also found reflection in something we discussed off the air, traditional church hymns, a sermon set to music. Reflection is looking for the pauses in life which break us from our routine and help us discover the depth and breadth of daily living. Not only that, but helps us discover peace and hope. I believe in the living word of God, not the book of rules, but a living word. I find it fascinating how scripture helps us define life, reminds us of our core, and guides us out into the future. As I reflected on Ben and Jody, this verse from Romans 12 came to mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God and what is good is acceptable and perfect. I pass this living word on to you. In the new year, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It will help you discern the will of God, that is, for you to discover peace in the coming year. That's our show. I want to thank Jody and Ben for sharing, and thank you for listening. I want to wish you a happy new year and invite you to find reflection time this coming year through Ordinary Voices. Join me in two weeks for Mr. Kenobi Goes to Scott County, where I talk to a retired banker who decided to run for an elected office and the lessons he learned along the way, like how people can make a straight shooter feel like he's throwing a spitball. Please help me invite more people into this conversation, recommend the show, and share your suggestions. Check out the website, OrdinaryVoices.org, and sign up for the daily devotions. Please consider donating to this listener-supported show. On behalf of all Ordinary Voices, thank you for listening.